0: Second Timothy. Uh, we're closing this out. Uh, I'm not promising that. I'm saying we're we're nearing the end. You know, this is in my typical fashion. We could take uh, three weeks in this last chapter, uh, but um, we're we're nearing the end of this letter uh, to Paul, and uh, it is of huge gravity. Uh, as far as Paul is concerned, because this is his uh, letter to uh, his student, his son in the faith, and Paul knows uh, he is about to be uh, put to death, and uh, these are the final words of that final letter, so it's you know it's to be taken with that much gravity you know you could you could lightly read. You know, such a thing in verse one, where he says, "I charge you." Therefore, you could, you know, just look at that like, a, you know, a biblical exhortation. But really, it's like a spiritual father saying to a spiritual son with the most urgency possible. So it's it's an intense closure to a life, a ministry, and a letter. So let's pray, and then we'll uh, dig into this. Father, uh, I thank you for your word and what it is that we have. Recorded here, I pray that uh, our hearts and minds would be attuned to it. And um, we have to admit that um, we come to these studies, and our hearts can be in all kinds of various forms and condition. And and uh, we're so fickle that even during a study such as this, our minds can drift to be a million miles away. Um, We recognize the significance and the importance of your word and uh, the fact that we should be extremely attentive to it. We confess that we are weak and ask that you would strengthen us with your spirit as we study this passage, that our hearts and minds would be as attentive as they need to be and that we would grab hold of what is recorded here and that we would live according to your word. Bless this study, bless its effect upon our lives, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Second uh, Timothy chapter four, verse one. I charge you therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who will judge the living and the dead at his appearing and his kingdom, preach the word, be ready in season and out of season, convince, rebuke, exhort with all longsuffering and teaching, for the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, they will heap up for themselves Teachers and they will turn their ears away from the truth and be turned aside to fables, but you be watchful in all things, endure affliction, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. So um, quite an exhortation there in the, that opening section to the chapter, and that you know first couple of words, I charge you. It's the idea of I'm I'm laying this on you as a legal obligation. This is something you must do, you know, before God. You know, the the statement of who will judge the living and the dead at the appearing. Uh, the scripture tells us that all authority, all judgment, has been given to Jesus Christ. There, are, you know, you know, cults and. Other belief systems that try to, you know, say, well, you have God the Father, then you have Jesus is His Son, and somehow Jesus has lesser authority. The Scripture is very clear that uh, Jesus is God; He created all things, and that, um, you know, in that, uh, you know, the the final judgment of all things will be laid at Jesus' feet. We we see Jesus talking about. Uh, at the end of this age where he gathers all the nations in front of him and he separates the sheep from the goats and the judgment that is portrayed there. But then when you you know go to the end of the book of Revelation and you see what is often referred to as the great white throne judgment or the Bema seat, uh, that is at the end of the millennial reign, the 1,000 years before We crest over into what we might describe as eternity and all that have ever lived uh, are presented before him. And he judges all of the living and everyone who has died uh, throughout all of history and uh, either sends them to their eternal punishment or rewards them, which is really what I want to get to, is the idea of what is our judgment it's uh, often presented in such a way that it's a fearful thing. Um, there's, there's obviously the fear of God that's necessary in every one of our lives. But if you've accepted Christ, if, if you've prayed that prayer, made the confession that you're a sinner, understand that he took your punishment in your place and, and he is your Lord and your king, then, then you are his child. He's giving you his spirit. And the judgment that we will experience is different than the judgment of the unbelievers. Um, if Well, why don't we turn? Uh, maybe you want to put your bookmark there in uh, 2 Timothy and go to the book of Revelation all the way uh, to the end where we see uh, here in uh, chapter 22, uh, it actually... Um, if we, if we go, um, let's see, where do I want to begin with this? Um, uh, let's see. Where is it? I'm not sure where I want to, um, souls live, reigned a thousand years of dead. Um... Verse, well, yeah, 11. Yeah, let's go with verse 11. Then I saw, saw, verse 11, chapter 20, Revelation chapter 20. Sorry, Uh, verse 11. Then I saw a great white throne and him who sat on it and from whose face the earth and the heaven had fled away and there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, standing before God and books were opened, and another book was opened, which is the book of life. So before we move on, um, I think it's important to identify books and the book of life. So we we get uh, at least one explanation of the other books. You get the book of life, and then it says books were opened. Uh, how many is that? Well, two at least, right, because it's plural, could be many, many books uh, that uh, apparently have things recorded in them. It's the Book of Life, uh, we, we've talked about it a little. Uh, I'm not entirely settled on how uh, that Book of Life uh, works. Um, the general concept, the, there are two general concepts. One is that um, when uh, you receive Christ, uh, your name is written in the Book of Life, which um, presents some difficulties because even in the book of Revelation, it talks about how your name can be blotted out of the book of life. So if if that is the case, that your name is written in the book of life when you accept Christ, then then really what you're saying and what you're saying the scripture is saying is that you could lose your salvation, that your name was written in the book of life, and then it was blotted out of the book of life. And I'll let other people debate that. I don't subscribe to that idea that you can get saved and then get unsaved. Um, you know, the idea of God's love and his salvation being temporary or, you know, corrupted is uh, it's a concept foreign to the scripture. Anyway, uh, the other concept, the other presentation about the book of life is that um, it is everyone who's ever been uh, given life. Uh, all throughout history, all throughout eternity, everyone who's ever been uh, created. And if you choose to reject God or, you know, go the other way, choose to never accept God, then your name gets blotted out of the book of life. So, um, you know, you can do a great deal of calculation on on your own. I, I more, and I don't say entirely, but I'm more subscribed to the second idea that it's It's the name of everyone who's ever been uh, given life. And if you don't accept Jesus Christ or you willfully reject Jesus Christ, then your name is blotted out of the book of life. There are some difficulties even with that concept. Point is, uh, here, it's quite easy to recognize, and they'll talk about it, that the people recorded in the book of life have eternal life. Uh, given to them so you have books that are opened and the book of life the dead were judged according to their works by the things which were written in the books plural so you know uh, how how do you uh, calculate you know that um well one verse stands out uh, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of god um if if your name is not written in the book of life then you're not going to be in eternity. So then, you know, to present their case that you deserve to be sent to hell, excommunicated from God, you only got two places that you can spend eternity, in the presence of God or expelled from the presence of God. So if your name's not written in the book of life, all they have to do is read through your deeds to the first sin. And once they land on the first one, and that's a confirmation. You're a sinner. I mean, maybe all of our deeds, right? If you're going to stand there and argue with, I was a kid. I didn't know. You know, he can then you know take you through. Well, what about this and that? You know, every single time, you know, consider that James tells us, uh, for him who knows to do good and does not do it, to him it is sin. Good grief! How many times have you seen something that you could have done? That was good and did not do it let, let alone you know the things you willfully did that were bad the things that you could have done that were good that you did not do scripture records that is sin we we measure ourselves improperly so in regard to this judgment it's really what i need to focus on is uh the that you're judged by these two books the book of life and the book of our deeds or the books plural of our deeds so the dead Small and great, verse 12, standing before God, the books were opened and another book was opened, which is the book of life. The dead were judged according to their works by the things which were written in the books. The sea gave up the dead, who were in it the death and hades, um, which, uh, you know, the place of the dead or the grave or even hell, uh, you might say, uh, delivered up the dead who were in them, and they were judged, each one according to his works then death and hades were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. Anyone not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. There are a number of things that go on from there, but the concept combined with what Paul says, uh, we can go back to uh, 2 Timothy, what Paul says in Corinthians, that we as Christians will be judged for reward. So if your name's written in the book of life, that nullifies your deeds. So now you have salvation. So then we are judged by what we have done, whether it be for the Lord or out of our selfishness or flesh or our sinfulness. So where we might have received reward, if we did things out of a sense of sinfulness or selfishness or unChrist likeness, then that's a loss of reward. Is is uh, how our judgment goes. So all of that to say, we as believers need to not live under a cloud of fear that we might not be saved. You know, Christ is the source of our salvation, not us in our behavior. You recognize you're a sinner. Have you asked God? to forgive you and give you eternal life, then you have it. It's it's a free gift for anyone, right? John 3.16 is the summary of our entire faith. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever would believe in him would not perish, but have everlasting life. That's directly from Jesus Christ, his own words. So salvation is entirely contingent upon Jesus Christ's ability to save you. And if you're hoping in that, if you're clinging in that, it's Jesus Christ who's capable of saving you, not you by your good works. Your good works will give you rewards. You know, um, I I uh, I don't have any problem with the concept of, um, you know, not deserving rewards. Follow me. I you know, here I am, a pastor, doing what I do every day, every week. You know, all along the way, I understand that it's his Holy Spirit that's given me the power and the ability to do all of these things. So I really don't deserve any reward. You know, this is this is, you know, much like we see the 24 elders before the throne in the book of Revelation, that uh, when the worship begins, they throw down their crown before him. And, you know, the idea is they're not worthy of it. it. The crown belongs to Christ. So, um, you know, what we do as believers should be under that concept that Christ has given us salvation. He deserves everything that we do. Uh, we're not doing these things with the thought process of, you know, what am I going to get out of this deal? You know, that that's very much the mindset of Judas. You know, yeah, serve the ministry, serve Jesus, but but do it for me. Christ deserves all of us, our service. So here, Jesus Christ is going to judge the living and the dead at his appearing in his kingdom. Then comes that statement, preach the word. Uh, Christianity has become such a popularity contest. It's just, you know, this church has all of this going on, and that church has all of that going on, and everybody's vying for the hippest, coolest you know, thing. Uh, I mean, our lives, especially in America, but all over the world, you know, are just entertainment, 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 entertainment. And you come to church, and the church is continuing with the entertainment and the entertainment and the entertainment. It's it's really strange. Um, I had the opportunity. I wasn't speaking. I was with a speaker at a mega church in Southern California, Years ago, I've worked in local television. Um, uh, been in a couple bigger productions with ESPN uh, here in the area when the University of Maine was in uh, playoffs. So, you know, I've been around some bigger productions. Um, so, television and uh, news and broadcast uh, since I was about 16 years old in high school, and. Um, uh, go to this church in uh, Southern California, and uh, when we when we are ushered in, this speaker that I'm with and myself, um, w- we meet a guy who's got the headset on and the microphone, and he's handing us pr- production schedules. And we're like, production schedules? And so we look at it, and they've got time sequence just like I've worked with in television and the clock's running, you know, you know, frames per second. And, and you, and, and so we're going to go, you know, he's going to go on at this time and they bring us into a green room, you know, where it's behind the stage. And that's, that's the, you know, when the green light goes on, you're ushered out onto the stage. And, and uh, he's listening on the headset and the camera guys and the director. And it's a show, man. It is a show, and they've got lights and cues, and fog machines, and it's a show. It's a show. I, I, I went to that church on two separate occasions other than that, and, you know, I mean, worship players leading full band. It's a concert. This is like a Wednesday night service, and the place is just pounding. And, and as the worship leader is finishing the final song, you know, and he's lulled the music down and the lights have dimmed and they're just focused on him, I watch the production as the band members now in darkness all fade off in their perfect cues and they move off the stage quietly and people completely dressed in black rush out onto the stage as, as he's, you know, saying to the crowd every, every eye closed, every head bowed. You know, they remove all of the props from the stage and put up, you know, two guys carry out the pulpit and plug it in and, you know, he's off to the side and the pastor walks out. And if you get your eyes closed, you know, you're just hearing this lull of music. And then as he finishes the prayer, and it's it's weird because I, you know, a rebel as I am, I'm watching this. I don't have every head bowed and every eye closed. I'm watching the production, you know, when I finish. And and if you've shut your eyes, the music lulls down. And like magic, if you open your eyes, the stage is clear. And now the pastor's there, you know, with just the spotlight. on him. he says, okay, now let's turn to, and it takes you right into. It's like the smooth transition thing. Rehearsed. Entertainment. You know, and here we are. Like, you know, stepladder still in the back of the room, and, you know, we're clunking our way through as, you know, Abigail's getting a, a phone call minutes before we start and rushing over here because John's mother, you know, needs. To, this is our life. There's, you know, preach the word. He doesn't say entertain the congregation. And, and here's the thing. Here's the problem, you guys. Uh, you know, I'm not just like harping on this to go this route like like I couldn't figure out how to make this whole thing run smoothly so we've just kind of thrown in the towel and we do things in a clunky way. That's not where we're at. The, the point is that I could polish this thing until we're all very entertained. Until everything is just running as smooth as... I could possibly make it run smooth. And you could be lulled right into thinking you're in great shape with the Lord. It needs to be raw. The word of God needs to come right off these pages. And sometimes it needs to punch us right in the mouth, doesn't it? We we show up here and we're in the wrong place, man, emotionally and spiritually. And, and the Lord has to, cuff us and get our attention you know what what does he say here right he goes right from preach the word be ready in season and out of season meaning you need to have this mentality all the time of preaching the word and then he gives us what that should look like convince what is it what does that say to you about the word of God convincing have you ever had to convince someone of something you know, like, here's a truth, and they're not subscribed to it. Yeah, and I'm, I'm not talking about, you know, uh, like, some unnecessary thing, you know. Have you ever had to convince a kid that he needs to take his medicine? You know what I'm saying? Sometimes there's, a, you know, a headlock involved in that where, you know, you get the medicine into the child. I mean literally I I've, I've held kids down with the syringe right they've got to take this antibiotic or they're going to or even the pain reliever you know they've they're they're sick they've got the fever or they've got the toothache they're teething and you got to you've got to apply with a convince convince of the necessity so preach the word that you would convince rebuke listen that doesn't come with soft approach. You, you understand? I mean, we we live in an environment of political correctness and a cancel culture that no one can ruffle anybody's feathers. Everything on the planet can now be insultive. You, you, you can't, you got to walk around on eggshells everywhere in life What? because you, you might, you know, set somebody off. There's, you know, there's a, a world of social justice warriors around us who, you know, are such snowflakes that the easiest little thing would just wreck their day. And so they're, you know, sure to tell you uh, to back off and let them live their life. You know, rebuke is the exact opposite. That's got some volume to it. You know, that the words snap off at the end of everything that's said when you're rebuking somebody uh i i i i grew up under <laughs> my grandfather right you know uh lived through world war 2 uh, he was an aircraft spotter Uh, You know, you think in Maine, that's why they were boat Loring Air Force Base was right here. He could identify all the aircraft that were engaged in World War II so that he could report those if necessary. You know, they they lived under threat of bombings. You know, they had to go through blackout practices. That was a serious time in this world. You know, my father passed away, and I'll never forget, you know, I, I... Got to adolescence, 11, 12 years old, something like that. And I was in his house and I was in a bad mood. Don't remember anything about what had set the whole thing off. But I'm mouthing off to my mother, his daughter. There's no father in my life. And I've got it in my head that I'm going to run the show. And I'm standing in the middle of Ralph Bolster's living room telling my mother off. And I suddenly have the most horrifying electric pain in my rear end just like rocket right up off the floor and spin around and uh, this guy's got a hardwood yardstick that standing next to his armchair and without a word to anybody he had just reached over and smack laid that right across my rear end and like i said i came up off the ground spun around to you know, confront whatever had just attacked me. And Ralph's putting that back, right? He's got his eye right on me. He's putting that back and he sees the look in my eye and he just brings it right back over like you want to go. I mean, it just, I'm not going to put up with this. There was a different mindset. The culture today, you know, probably uh, if my grandfather was alive, somebody would want to report him for such a thing. Today, this culture that is so soft, so weak. Here, Paul is saying, preach the word. Be ready, in season, out of season, all the time. Convince. Don't get me wrong, right? Because he gets very compassionate and loving in this. Uh, but, But we need to be ready, if necessary, to perform the confrontation. Convince, rebuke, exhort. That's the building up. That's it. You've got a little bit of it. You're grabbing a hold of the faith. You're grabbing the concept. You're clinging. Okay, now let me get right behind that and just pile everything into it that I can to strengthen your understanding, to build your, you've got questions. You, got, you want more information? You need to, you know, let me assemble to what you already understand more. Let me build more to it. That's the idea of exhortation, to build up. As a young preacher, young preacher. Timothy's about 40 at this point. Paul's been discipling him for years. As someone who he sent out into the ministry, he's instructing him as one of his disciples. Then here, right, with all long-suffering. Patience. Patience. Can't just be the fiery preacher who's always blasting the bark off from everybody. Right? I mean, that's necessary, as I just described, at times. But to have that balanced hand, you can't always be the super patient teacher either. You know, that's an imbalanced approach. There needs to be aggression. There needs to be an approach to this of discipline, right? That's the root word of the term disciple, discipline. Jesus commands his followers, go ye therefore into all the world and make disciples of all men. He didn't say, you know, make, uh, what did they used to say years ago? Limp-wristed, you know, soft, pansy-like followers of Jesus. They're going to have to pay for this belief system with their lives. You, you, you can't go at this in a, in a soft way. You know, there's some thought... In this process, that Timothy actually made it to Rome. We don't, we can't confirm this, and was actually imprisoned with Paul for a short period of time. You, you can't, you can't take a light approach to this. This is as serious a circumstances can be generated. But you know, you do have to have that long suffering, the patience, and teaching. And that statement of. How bad things are gonna get, people aren't gonna endure sound doctrine oh the the world we live in today, in the way people can't stand sound doctrine, you know, you know they'll ask you you know is homosexuality a sin and and when you answer as the scripture does and say, "Yes, it is, they'd roll their eyes you know like like oh, you poor ill educated uninformed backward thinking. You know, their 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 thought is you're stupid. When in fact, when we say such a thing, it's the most loving thing you could possibly say. I mean, to that, you know, you need to attach all the understanding of our faith. You know, take for instance uh, the man who's just, you know, we would say red blooded. Uh, heterosexual sinner well as much as that urge is in his or her life to live you know what we would call normal sexual sin if they can recognize oh this is wrong i can't do this as much as the urge is there and they resist god honors that he's very respectful of the fact that someone says look i know this you know, this is an urge I have, but the Lord says no, so therefore I won't do it. Uh, he, God respects the person who has urges towards same sex, and and they, they recognize, oh, the Scripture says that's a sin. I will not participate in it. God respects that, and, and someone with even those urges can be a child of God when, when they are submitted to, to the Lord in the process you know the homosexual is no worse than the heterosexual in their sexual sin there's, God finds no difference in these things uh, so so you know answering forthright you know there's this mindset of they won 't endorse sound doctrine on any level you know they reject the deity of Jesus Christ they reject the existence of hell. They reject the moral mandates of the Word of God, and, and they throw all of these things off as though they're the author of the Scripture. You know, they, they, they rewrite the Bible and the process and why. Now, this statement about having itching ears, right, they, they, they throw off the sound doctrine and they get teachers uh, that, they, that they like. They'll heap up for themselves teachers as it says, having itching ears. Uh, this is again, a a long illustration, but uh, your ear is right here. You know, the opening on the side of your head and follow me in this. If you were a dog or a cat, um, you, you would have that apparatus on the outside, that flesh structure, which stands up to scoop the noise. The ear is still inside the animal's head. Okay. well, because it's filled with fur, it catches all of that oil and it catches all of that dust and it gets. And you'll see them right scratching and shaking their head. You've had the dog walk up to you and you start to scratch and they just lean in like, oh man, and they get all on know why. That's because their ear needs to be cleaned, and that's what Paul is saying here. They have itching ears like an animal that has something wrong. That's leaning right in and just sort of, you know, shaking its leg as you scratch. his here like, oh, that's perfect. What really needs to happen is, you know, that needs to be maintained properly and cleaned, which they're not capable of doing entirely themselves. You know, we're not animals is really the back statement of what Paul is saying, but we we behave like animals. When we find somebody that appeals to our flesh and we say, yeah, scratch there. Oh, it's, there's no hell. I've always thought, I've always hoped that. Oh, my sexual sin, uh, you know, you're redefining it and saying it's not sin, it's just choice. I've always wanted it to be that way. Leaning hard into that which we desire. The word of God comes and confronts, right? And convinces and convicts and rebukes us. Preach the word, he's saying to this young man. Turn their ears away from the truth. Turned aside to fables, right? Hell hell is real. And if I tell you that it's not, well, now I'm creating a fable. I'm creating a false narrative, a fake story in this process, so you know it is uh you know to be warned against, mm-hmm. but you be watchful in all things, endure affliction, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry, can't lose sight, gotta be wary, being watchful it's the it's the idea of um being aware of what's around you um you know the uh, a lot of the self defense instructors and the guys that uh, um, you know teach people how to defend themselves, things of that nature. One of the first things they do is teach people how to change their mindset about the environments they're they're in. Situational awareness is key to the circumstance um they they they've actually classified. Uh, I forget how it it goes entirely from white uh, to black. And um, in there is yellow, orange, and red, and then black. White is where there's no problems at all. And you're half asleep on your living room couch, uh, doors locked, alarm on. I don't know, you know, whatever degree of you, you aren't, even paying attention to any threat at all. You know, I don't know how to even describe that. Shoes off, uh, you know, pint of and dazs whatever you want to do, you're not ready for battle at all. You're, you're in, in zero preparation for any kind of physical conflict. Um, yellow is, uh, you know, looking around and paying attention Uh, orange is recognizing there are potential threats in your environment red is where you're able to jump to action and actually conduct yourself in the fight black is where that has gone so completely bad that you have become completely disoriented and you no longer can handle yourself you've gone beyond point is there there needs to be this spiritual mindset of the conflict that you're in and the awareness you need to be hovering continuously somewhere in the neighborhood of orange or red (laughs) that you understand the problems that are around you you know i i uh i've given this illustration before but um when i first came to the lord i failed a couple times uh when Uh, I was in a terrible place spiritually, and friends from my past, my sinful past, the world, uh, contacted me, and I fell to, you know, go hang out with them, and then the opportunities that they presented, you know, fall into sin. And, you know, when I got my head screwed back on straight, I could see, oh, man, I was at my weakest point. You know, I hadn't been there in years, and I, I come to this place of, you know, um, being out of fellowship with Christ and being in a terrible place spiritually. And right as it's all sort of falling apart, I get this phone call, and I go run off with, you know, this old friend, and you know, end up backslidden for days. Well, you know, the next time that came around, uh, I'm right in the midst of being in that terrible place, and here comes that phone call. I'm realizing oh like this is a setup Uh, like this this phone call i mean the devil himself might as well be calling me and so so i i at first i was going to delete their phone number and the lord i believe i didn't hear a voice or anything but you know my heart and mind the lord said no no you just need to like rename that contact to warn yourself not to answer the phone because if i mean if if you delete their contact information, then it'll just be an unregistered number and you might do the same thing. So, so I chose to na- rename those contacts with their name. But in front of it, I put do not answer this call and then their name. Well, you know, it was like a year later and I'm in a bad mood and I'm in a terrible place. And sure enough, my phone rings and I'm reading do not answer this call. I'm thinking that is really weird. You know, why is that saying? And then I remember. And it strikes me like, you know, like the warning that it is. We we need to be that cautious, that wary of how circumstances catch us. You know, if you're just walking around, you know, sort of in that white zone of everything's fine. (laughs) You know, I don't have a spiritual care in the world. You can get blindsided by your circumstances very quickly. You know, Here, be watchful in all things. Endure affliction. That, that's very contradictory to this easy world, this comfortable, entertaining world of Christianity that's being generated by the church around us. Be ready for affliction. You know, so, some of this COVID-19 stuff, Uh, You know, there's a lot of pastors that were upset with me because we reopened the church the day, you know, the the Sunday after Resurrection Sunday last year, we reopened. And lots of pastors around us are, you know, you're defying the government and we're supposed to admit to the authorities. What about Romans 13? They got all of these accusations. We're going to be afflicted. We're, we're going to be persecuted. We're going to have to endure hardships. If we're going to cave at something this easy, I mean, what, what's going to happen when we or our children or our children's children are literally facing gunpoint? If, if we're caving in with afflictions that are this easy to endure, the church will be in bad shape. I like the, the fact that he tags the whole thing with do the work of an evangelist. Fulfill your ministry. We're all evangelists. Right? Some of us are you know, more preachers, you know, teachers of God's word, taking those who have already been converted and educating them in the faith. You know, that's a lot of what I do. Uh, there are all kinds of various things. Some people you know, are more about taking care of people's physical needs. They find out somebody's sick, they want to take them a meal. They want to go over and attend. You know, can't, you know, they're sick and they can't cut their grass anymore. They can't shovel their walkway. I want to go over there and do that for them. Some people have that mindset, but we all need to share the word of God. Do the work of an evangelist. Preach the word and, and be ready to lead people into the kingdom. Now, this next section, he begins, for I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and as The time of my departure is at hand. Uh, He knows he's going to die. This idea of a drink offering, they would um, pour this into the fire of when they were offering up a bowl or a lamb or something that was being burned for the Lord. And and, uh, because it was wine, uh, it would just flare off really fast uh you know the the alcohol content would cause it to sort of explode into a, a burst of flame and it's all done and Paul is saying that's where I'm at for you know the lamp and the slow burning you know light of my life that has continued on through my ministry he's saying I'm coming down to that final moment where there's that flash uh he knows that is and is here and he's you know saying i'm already being poured out uh, as a drink offering you know it's it's not like the priest they, they would actually do it in a shallow pan like you know like we might think of it as like a soup plate you know the, the shallow pan they would put it in there and then as they started to tip they would just throw it all on the fire because you can't take it's flammable you can't pour it Slowly into the flame, you're going to injure yourself. So they would flick the whole thing all at once. Well, if you're already being poured out, Paul is Paul is saying, "I'm already done. I'm already finished." You know, this this letter I'm writing to you is part of that final flash of my life and my ministry and uh, you know everything that I was. He he sort of sets the contrast in that, uh, you know, he says the time of his departure is at hand. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. You know, Paul uh, Saul of Tarsus, a Roman citizen, he talks about the Roman games and the different elements of competition several times. You, You have to believe based upon the things that he's written that he, he was a fan of, uh, you know, watching the games, experiencing the games. Um, within that, he understands, uh, you know, the, the, the endurance it takes to get into the, you know, today it would be the boxing ring, you know, two-minute rounds or, you know, uh, whatever amount of time those men would fight and then take a break and fight. You could have ready for the endurance, the race, that's going to be run. I've fought the fight. I, I've I've finished the race. You know, I've crossed the line. Yeah, I've finished well. That's something that uh, in Calvary Chapel, Chuck Smith years ago began really pressing upon us, because we had watched minister after minister after minister fail and fall and sin, and Chuck just really began to impress upon us, guys, you know how you start and. And, you know, the glory of the peak of whatever you're doing really doesn't count at all. It's how you finish. You know, everybody would be more enthralled with the entirety of your ministry if you started out small and you sort of stayed small and you sort of finished small. You know, if you started out, with a flash, and you got absolutely giant, and then you crashed and burned. <laughs> you know, nobody's really, you know, they summarize your whole ministry by how you ended. He's saying the endurance to the completion. You know, you notice Paul doesn't say, I won every battle. You know, I fought the good fight. I, I, I completed the thing. I wasn't disqualified. I, I wasn't kicked out. I wasn't knocked out. I, I went through the whole process. Uh, you know, the, the endurance, the continuation, the completion of the thing. There's a lot to be said for finishing the race, right? Isn't that like... Yeah, I watch these people enter. I, I There's something sadistic about marathons. I just... You know, you're gonna run 26 miles. I just, there's something wrong with you. I, I don't, I don't know what's up with that. But okay, you're into it. I'm impressed by the people, the average Joe, who says, you know what, uh, I need to get in shape. I'm gonna start running, and then they set the goal and they say, you know what, I'm gonna run that marathon. And you know, they run the race and. They clean up the whole parade, and they've taken down all the stands. And two days later, they cross the finish line. You know, saying they they finished the race. Uh, I'm exaggerating, but you know, you read these guys two hours and fifteen minutes, you know, and then you see somebody else that was like nineteen hours, and <laughs> they ran, they finished, they finished the race. That there's something actually really commendable to that. You know, they're in continuing that long. They're saying. They weren't fit for it. But they stuck with it. You have to admire that level of endurance, the determination. You know, how many times during that process did they want to give up? You know, maybe even people suggested it to them. You know, you realize everybody else has been done for six hours? You know, are you really going to continue? You haven't even reached the halfway mark. I mean, you know, and they continued on. I I like what Paul is implying here, uh, you know, enduring affliction, he says in verse 5, and then, you know, applying that to the idea of finishing the race. I've kept the faith. You know, if nothing else, I didn't wave the white flag. I didn't throw in the towel. I didn't quit. I kept the faith. I endured through the process. There's a lot to be said in that. Finally, in verse eight, there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness ah, not not that withering crown of laurel that they would braid together and give the victor at the Olympic Games. you know that that thing all parched and dry and fragile, sitting on a shelf somewhere years later. Oh, you competed in the Olympics. Yeah, don't touch that, you know it's, you know it's, it's already basically ash just sitting there. On the shelf this idea is in contrast to that you know vegetation that would be put on the head something that would wither and die and and be uh, destroyed you know there's a crown of righteousness which the Lord the righteous judge will give to me on that day and not to me only but also to all who have loved his appearing Paul, historically, church history, not just legend, church history tells us that he was an especially short man. Now, Jewish men, especially of the day, were not very tall. So he was short amongst those who weren't especially tall. You know, maybe, uh, according to some uh, historians, as uh, Short as five foot two, you know, maybe shorter than that. Uh, Brutally scarred by his ministry, beaten and scourged and stoned, uh, church history tells us. Uh, Very spindly legs and knobbed knees. Uh, This is history, okay, recorded for us. And he spoke with a high pitched, squeaky voice, right? Real pleasant, too. You know listen to people actually he he uh, records when he writes to Corinth how they mocked him that uh, you know he writes great letters, but when you see him in person, completely unimpressive is what he was saying. You know, he, this this man right here receiving this work, this is a giant. His reward is massive. How about this? We're here tonight thousands of years later, gathered around his letter, receiving instruction for our lives. You know, poor eyesight, you know, holding his sermons very close to his face as he read them to the congregations that he delivered to speaking in a high-pitched, squeaky voice. Not impressive from a worldly sense in any way. Endured things beyond anyone else's imagination, including the fact that where he's writing to Timothy right now, everyone else has left him. He's all alone. Christianity, Christianity has kicked Paul to the curb. Wholesale. They're done with the guy. And, and yet, uh, without his letters, where would we be? Without his instruction, without his insights, there would be a tremendous amount more struggle for every one of us fought the good fight kept the race kept the faith you know looking for that crown of righteousness which the lord the righteous judge will give me on that day and not to me only but also to all who have loved his appearing listen are you one of the rejects you know Have you been in the in crowd all your life where people accepted you and loved you and you just, you know, I don't know how you want to describe that, but, you know, the popular crowd, you know, were you part of that? Few of us were, very few of us. Most of us within Christianity were the rejects of life. We had all along the way hoped we'd somehow be acceptable to that in crowd. (laughs) They found our flaws and picked us apart like they do everybody else. You're in good company. Paul was one of those. Jesus was one of those who was rejected, abused, chastised by the people of the world. Here we're being shown by Paul that that's all he had strived for, and we should be fixed on the same thing. Be diligent to come to me quickly. Now he's going to get specific. For Demas has forsaken me, having loved this present world and has departed for Thessalonica. It was interesting, right? Demas is listed There's some other smaller references, but he's listed uh, two other occasions. The first time uh, he is referenced, just like Timothy and Titus, says being a son in the faith. And the second time he writes to Luke and simply says, and Demas is with me. And now we hear of Demas again. And the third time it's Demas is gone he's left. And the idea is he's forsaken the faith. How about that, you guys? Someone who was recorded as being equal to or at least near equal to Timothy and Luke and Titus has now abandoned Paul, completely walked away, having loved this world, loved this present world. And it's the idea of the sinful world. You know, uh, was it a matter of um Paul recognizing sin in his life and having to get more and more confrontational until eventually Demas you know made up some excuse and left however it played out Paul is able to summarize for us Demas left and the reason he left is because he loves the sinfulness of this present world that's heartbreaking someone who was actively involved in the ministry of Paul's life and very active in, uh, you know, seeing Paul's ministry advance has now has to be listed in this way. Let that be a shot across your own bow that uh, where you are today doesn't mean that's where you're going to be tomorrow. You need to endure and continue in the faith. Departed for Thessalonica, Cretans for Galatia, Titus for. Dalmatia. We don't get uh, full explanations in each of those settings as to why those people are not with him. But he's now alone. Mamertine prison. Uh, he he doesn't have all of these support people around him that he used to have. L- Eleven is reassuring. Only Luke is with me. Get Mark and bring him with you, for he is useful to me for ministry. So interesting and so gracious of Paul and the Holy Spirit to record this, because the last time that we read about Mark, otherwise known as John Mark, nephew to Barnabas, there was a massive conflict between Paul and Barnabas over Mark. Mark had gone with Paul and Barnabas on their missionary journeys, and in the midst of their missionary journey, suddenly this young disciple, Homesick and doesn't want to be with him anymore, and they've got to go through all this great effort to make arrangements to get him back home in, a, in an ancient, primitive world where I mean, you don't just go to the airport and purchase a ticket and put this kid on an airplane and send him home, or even the Greyhound station, uh, you know, that would be you know arduous enough. This is a matter of you're okay, I've made arrangements for you with this captain and you're going to get on this boat. Now, when you get to such and such a location, this captain's going to help you find, you know, hopefully another passage and you're going to get yourself home. And, you know, they've got all the worry and all the concern for this kid and how his welfare is going to turn out. And they were dependent upon him. He'd gone with them to be an assistant. So while they're out doing evangelism and things, are he can—and as, as painful as it might be to describe—he can, you know, prepare meals and help them so that when they get back from preaching the gospel, they've got someone there who's helping them with the practical needs. And suddenly, this kid's like, "Nah, I'm, I'm leaving. I can't take this." So now they're about to go out on another missionary journey, and Barnabas is like, "Hey, Mark wants to go again." Paul says, "No way." We're not taking this kid with us who threw in the towel previously and abandoned us and left us in such a lurch. You know, we'd have been better off to make our arrangements planning on just the two of us caring for one another's needs, let alone that we got to care for his, and now suddenly we've got to make arrangements to get him back home. It, near, it nearly derailed what they were doing personally. Are, are they going to have to, you know, walk him all the way back through the process of getting there? They're thousands of miles away in the ancient world, and you got to get a kid home. So that conflict separated Paul and Barnabas to where Barnabas took Mark, and Paul went his way. Now, at the end of Paul's life, Paul says, bring Mark with you. That, that guy is really good for me. That guy is good for my ministry. Their relationship is repaired. They, they've come to the place of understanding, probably Mark is grown up he's grown up enough that the book of mark was written by him with peter peter and john mark wrote the gospel of mark together he's grown up enough to accomplish that paul has softened enough perhaps to accept his apology and restore a relationship you know it isn't a matter of You know, John Mark came and said, you know, now that the years have passed, I realize what a lurch I left you in. You know, I I was an immature young man, didn't recognize what I was doing to you, to the work of the Lord, to your ministry. Could you ever forgive me? And Paul, Paul hasn't said, yeah, I'll forgive you, but don't ever come around. You know, yeah, I'll forgive you. Right? What do we say? I'll forgive, but I won't forget. Right. Paul says here in this moment, you know, bring him with you. He's, he's important to me. He's useful to me for ministry. Tychicus I have sent to Ephesus. Bring the cloak that I left, left with Carpus at Troas when you come. And the books, especially the parchments, his Bibles, his lexicon, right? His, his he reads Greek and Hebrew. he doesn't need lecture. His study aids is what he's saying. I, you know, I, I want to uh, be in the Word. I want to be able to study. I want to be able to uh, conduct myself in a continued growth in uh, the Word. It's 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 coming on to winter at this point. His request for the clo- cloak is a practical one. You know, this isn't uh, you know his dinner jacket that he's asking for. This is because he's freezing in this prison. Uh, He he shifts gears and just sort of blurts this statement in here. I want to make the point here also that when these people wrote letters, they had to do it very carefully. Uh, They would purchase a scroll that was specific in its length. I literally mean its measurement based upon how long the letter was that they were going to write. You just you continue to write and roll and unroll and write. You don't go just get another sheet of paper. So every word that's recorded here is significant. Here he includes in verse 14, Alexander the coppersmith did me much harm. May the Lord repay him according to his works. All uh, right. The uh, last words of last letter to Timothy includes within that a very sharp barb for a man who had tried to kill Paul, tried to destroy his ministry. He he, he was uh, an idol maker, and Paul was preaching the gospel, and people were being converted to Christianity and giving up their worship of idols, and Alexander was watching his Wallet, his bank account being affected, and he raised a riot and tried to have Paul killed in the process. And here he's remembering, you know, that man did me much harm. May the Lord repay him according to his works. So I have forgiven Mark and want him to come and minister, but Alexander is still accountable to God for the things he did against the Lord when he did things against me. You also must beware of him, for he has greatly resisted our words. So as you continue in the ministry, Timothy, be wary of this one particular individual. At my first defense, no one stood with me, for all forsook me. May it not be charged against them. He was arrested uh, there in, in Acts as he had gone into the temple and tried Uh, to just go through a cleansing process. Really, he ends up trying to preach to the Jews. They freak out and attack him. And then, of course, the Romans uh, come and take Paul into custody. And the Jews plan on killing Paul while he's in custody. So the Romans have to transport him in the middle of the night sort of to protective custody. And then the court cases begin. And he's saying, you know, in that occasion, everyone forsook me. May it not be charged against them, and he means that sincerely, that the Lord would not punish people for abandoning him in that that time of need. But the Lord stood with me and strengthened me, so that the message might be preached fully through me, and that all the Gentiles may hear. Also, I delivered out of the mouth I was delivered out of the mouth of the lion. They didn't take me into just. Um, throw me in with the lions and have the lions kill me. Historic point uh, in regard to how the Romans uh, did that. Lions, uh, even in uh, the, the setting of the games, are wary of human beings. And uh, if you put them in a coliseum with thousands of human beings around, chanting and cheering and screaming, and then there are human beings on the ground in front of them, uh they they're frightened and will not attack. So uh when we hear that they fed the Christians to the lions, um because we referred to ourselves as sheep, um they the practice was they would starve the lions until they were insane with hunger. And then they would uh tie the bloodied skins of uh usually sheep upon the Christians and chained them to the ground so they were on all fours, bearing the appearance of uh, a sheep or a lamb, and then release these stars. so it wasn't I, I mean it, the the cruelty is like you know several layers thick there as to how the Romans conducted themselves. In these uh, settings and Paul is saying you know uh, I was delivered out of the mouth of the lion the Lord will deliver me from every evil work and preserve me for his heavenly kingdom to him be glory forever and ever remember right uh, because that does come true as he loses his head Um, Shadrach Meshach and Abednego are uh, about to be thrown into the fiery furnace by nebuchadnezzar and as they heat that furnace to seven times its normal temperature i mean it it ends up killing the men who throw shadrach meshach and abednego into the fire Uh, those three young jewish boys say to nebuchadnezzar either way we're going to be delivered from you it's either going to be through the fire or by the fire so kill us if you want to We're not going to have to put up with you anymore. So Paul making the statement isn't a matter of defeat. You know, the Lord will deliver me from every evil work and preserve me for his heavenly kingdom. Even Paul knows he's, you know, verse 6, being poured out. His life is at an end. He understands where he's headed. Uh, Verse 19, greet Priscilla and Aquila and the household of Onesiphorus, Great pillars in in, uh, the Christian community at that time. Um, Some of the division that occurred at the Church of Corinth uh, was that partisanship of some people saying that they were followers of Peter, other people saying, I'm a follower of Paul, other people saying, you know, uh, I only listen to the teachings of Apollos, who was a a great teacher within Christianity at that time. uh, Prisca and uh, Aquila, they uh, were great teachers and helped instruct um, Apollos, who uh, was simply uh, 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 baptizing in John's uh, baptism, the baptism of repentance, and they they gave him instruction. So, you know, these people of of renown to the church of the time. Erastus stayed in Corinth. Uh, but Trophimus, I have left in Miletus sick. Uh, do your utmost to come to me before winter. Uh, again, re- the reference to the need of the cloak and the cold that's coming on. Uh, Eubulus greets you as well as Pudens, uh, Linus, uh, Claudia, and all the brethren. Uh, great historical names, each of them, in the history of the church that endured a tremendous hardship and uh, you know, furthered the gospel with Paul. 22, the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Grace be with you. Amen. Um, you know, I, I hope and pray that with every passing day and every passing year, our names uh, are recorded like these names. That, that uh, you know, in the life of certain People, maybe, maybe we're never going to be widely known to the entirety of Christianity, uh, but that, that small group of people that uh, the Lord has us around and has us ministering to, um, you know, they will forever remember uh, the, the, the work and the, the teaching and the sharing and the faith that we demonstrated, that they would be able to look back and, and mention our names with such reverence that that we had continued in the faith. Think about it in contrast, right? We get two contrasts here. One, there's a large group that's left. They've departed, they've fallen away, no one's with him anymore other than Luke. And then you have the contrast of Alexander the smith. you know, the, the the real wicked people of the world, who are well known by many. And then this small group of personal believers who the church is aware of and what they've done. You know, I just was up at Calvary Chapel Bangor uh, this morning uh, working up there at CRD and helping Mike Archer with some video production things, and we got on the subject of my mother, who was Ken Graves' uh, first secretary and um, ministered to a lot of those people that are in that church. And, and at any time the subject comes up especially Mark, Mike Archer and Jim Lord and some of those other names which you know if we if we were writing this if I was writing this they would fit into these places you know people who ministered to me you know just a couple of weeks ago um, uh, Kathy Sobel uh, showed up here to meet with your son Oliver and uh, I, I had the same reaction uh, you know Kathy and Steve Sobel Steve's pastoring over in uh, Franklin. Uh, Franklin Baptist. And, um, when I was first come to the Lord, uh, I was in their home, uh, a lot. And then there was even a short period of time where I was in their home every day. And, and they just, they were just living out their faith and being a family. And at times it was Bible study and, but it was meals and sharing and encouragement and direction and insight and correction and correction and, you know, correction, you know, in my young Christian life. So, you know, these names, uh, they're not without meaning. They're not without depth. And, uh, you know, I pray to God that every one of our names is recorded in someone else's life in this way. That uh, even if it's just one person, that, that we are there faithful, demonstrating uh, what the Lord is doing in our life uh, to do what we can to minister to them. So that closure fits with us, right? The Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. My Spirit, uh, grace be with you, Amen. So we'll uh, we'll start Titus next week. With, uh, that's our study in Second Timothy for now. So let's pray, and uh, then we'll spend some time in fellowship.